Welcome to Green Talk, a podcast by Grain Farmers of Ontario. I'm Rachel Telford. The Grain Talk podcast is available on Apple iTunes, Google Play and Spotify. Please rate, review and subscribe on your favourite platform. In this episode of Grain Talk, we will speak with Tom Farfaris, the Chief Financial Officer for Grain Farmers of Ontario. He's going to talk about the recently approved financial statements and the audit and budget process the organization goes through on a yearly basis to make sure we are accountable to our farmer members. Later on in the podcast, we will also get an update from Barry Senf, the CEO. First, a Grain Talk News update. Grain Farmers of Ontario is disappointed that the Canadian government's trade compensation package announced last week does not include support for grain farmers. The impact of trade disputes on grain farmers was forgotten in the federal announcement of $1.75 billion for 11,000 Canadian dairy farmers. Support is immediately needed for grain farmers who are facing uncertainty in the markets from trade disputes and stifled markets as a result of Canada's strained relationship with China. Grain Farmers of Ontario has been a vocal advocate of the need for better business risk management programs for Ontario grain farmers and for a trade war fund that will help see farmers through the economic hurt that has been caused by these trade war disputes. The Rural Ontario Institute has announced the next 21 people from across Ontario who will take part in Class 18 of the Advanced Agricultural Leadership Program. The class includes Grain Farmers of Ontario Director Scott Persall from District 5 Elgin Norfolk and staff member Victoria Berry, who is Manager of Communications. During the 19-month program, participants will learn about leadership and organizational development, including government and political processes, economics, social and environmental issues, trade policy, global affairs, and other industry-related issues that affect farming in Ontario and globally. Harvest season is a stressful time for farmers. Long hours in the field and worrying about the weather and crop conditions can put a strain on your mental well-being. Grain Farmers of Ontario is hosting a farmer wellness webinar series to equip farmers with useful tools for stress management, getting better sleep, decreasing anxiety, and how to stop worrying. The latest research study on Canadian farmers looked at 1,100 farmers, finding that 45% of them report very high levels of stress. 58% of them saying they have high anxiety and 40% of them very reluctant to seek professional help. The webinars will be led by Kathy Summers, who runs the Stress Management and High Performance Clinic in Guelph. The first webinar tackling stress management will be held on September 4th. Participants will learn how to shift from defense to performance, learn brain-body calming techniques, and how to identify the most common stress escalators. For more information on each webinar and to register, go to gfo.ca. And now, here's my conversation with Tom Farfaris. Joining us on the podcast this week is Tom Farfris. He's the Chief Financial Officer for Green Farmers of Ontario. Thanks for joining us this week, Tom. Good morning. So, Tom, let's start off by chatting a little bit about yourself and what does it mean to be the Chief Financial Officer? Very good question. I think um, one of the main things, um, having worked with Grain Farmers of Ontario and with the predecessor organization, the Ontario Wheat Producers Marketing Board, I think just having a, a balanced perspective of the operation of the organization, all the different areas, ensuring that the, I guess you could say, the uh, assets of the organization are being preserved, 
and we're exercising good judgment in terms of uh, our expenditures, uh, fulfilling the mandate of our of our board and for our farmer members. So, what does it take to become a chief financial officer? I think the I think the main thing is you have the uh, knowledge and expertise in uh, accounting practice uh, policies and uh, definitely a certification. Um, so when I, I guess, began uh, with the Ontario Wheat Producers Marketing Board, at that time I was studying to become a certified general accountant. And um, I was doing those studies while I was uh, employed. So I would work during the day and then in the evening I'd be hitting the books, spending at least 35 to 40 hours a week studying and taking the course curriculum for the um, for the CGA program. So a fair bit of technical knowledge, practical knowledge, and uh, being able to apply it and uh, develop that competency to have the uh, trust of the um, of my management team at that time. So why numbers for you? What made you want to get into finance? I think going back to when I first started working in information technology, a lot of the work that I was doing was relating to financial interfaces. So I was uh, working in the software industry as an IT tech and always uh, being exposed to financial uh, transactions and whether it's a purchasing system, an invoicing system, always tying into a general ledger of some sort. So regardless of wherever I was working in IT, most of the um, most of the implementations uh, developed uh, an interest in that. And actually going back to uh, my university days here at University of Guelph, one of the one of the main things I'd taken was systems analysis along with uh, uh, an, um, economics, uh, so management uh, economics. And so one of the areas I wanted to do was actually pursue an accreditation right after university. But um, the demand was really more in the IT area at that time. So anyway, I leveraged it, essentially transitioning from IT into finance and bridging both actually. And what about in terms of a connection to agriculture? How did you end up here at Green Farmers of Ontario? Because with the accounting and background like that, you can really work anywhere. It really comes down to, I think, when I had uh, studied at University of Guelph and it was through the uh, ag economics, I was uh, always in the stream that would involved agriculture. And uh, naturally, you know, you you never really think about that. But um, I think one of the main reasons I think going back and looking at it was in the early 2000s, you saw a transition and some hardship in the IT sector as everyone had done their year 2000 migration. And with the dot-com bust, uh, one of the things I started consciously looking at is what sector of the uh, of the economy would would actually have some more stability. And uh, I know I was teased quite a bit when I said, "Okay, I'm going to focus on agriculture," but I think it just I happened to be at the right place at the right time. Uh, the Ontario Wheat Producers Marketing Board. Uh, needed someone with an IT background, but also was interested in, in developing a, a, a financial, um, pursuing their accreditation. And so at that time, um, I interviewed for a position as a business manager with the Ontario Wheat Producers Marketing Board um, to leverage both my IT as well as um, some finance. And, and that's really, you know, again, just the right time at the right place. And it, it worked out that way. And 15, 16 years later, I'm 
it, it, don't, no regrets. And when we talk about, I guess, upgrading your skills and, and keeping in touch with developments in agriculture, you're a uh, graduate of the Advanced Agriculture Leadership Program, and we were just speaking earlier in the podcast about the fact that the new class for that has been announced. Can you tell us about uh, your experience with ELP and, and what you got out of that program? To be honest with you, when I, when, when I was um, uh, thought about it and was approached and said, would you be interested in the, in the program? And I, <clears throat> I started thinking, well, you know, why would a, a 50-some-year-old guy be a good candidate for the, uh, for the program? And I thought, okay, is it, you know, is my, you know, is that really uh, the, right, the right fit for me? And, and one of the things that I, I thought about and reflected on was, you know, being in an office, being in, in finance, uh, you, I, I see all the expenditures and all the other work that's going on in the organization. And there was a, a tangible part of being able to connect with agriculture, interacting with primary producers, uh, with the agribusiness sector outside of the office. And I think having um, uh, com- working through the application to apply, going through the interview process, I started thinking, you know, this is, this is uh, a valuable program, and I feel that there should be many more people that want to take that program. I know it's a time commitment, but I think overall, I, I wish I had done it earlier in my career. Uh, congratulate the people that are now in the program but I encourage more and more people to um, to look into it and and pursue it. Where was your international study that you participated in? It was in uh, Chile and Argentina. And so it was during, uh, I think, one of the coldest time periods in February. Um, and being on a plane um, heading to a southern climate, that was not really well liked. <laughs> uh, but I think overall that trip was um, a wonderful opportunity to see um, see that region, see agriculture, see life, and, and what you, you don't think about the challenges of, of agriculture in a southern region, but you kind of, you, you learn, okay, as you get further from the equator and further south, it's a colder climate, and your mind here thinks about North America and thinks that the further south you are, the actual warmer you are. So it's it's a different um, it's a different mindset, and being able to compare and contrast uh, Chile, Chile's uh, uh, investment and uh, how they they do things with um, with agriculture, and then some of the challenges in in Argentina in terms of their crops and taxation and on their soybean crops and and that and just having the water resources that they have in terms of. Uh, of being able to irrigate corn crops and other crops, it just it it amazes you to see to see that kind of production when when we're reliant so much on water uh, rainfall in Ontario, and we have our challenges with that, whether it's too much or too little at the right time or not or not the right time. So. So we wanted to talk with you um, today on the on the podcast because uh, Grain Farmers of Ontario is releasing its annual report very soon, and a large part of that report is the financial statements, which basically explains to our farmer members where have we spent all of that money that we've collected from them. So perhaps you can explain to us what are some of the the key measures of the financial statements that farmers should keep an, a lookout for if they are looking at that annual report. 
if you start off with, the, with your statement of financial position, I think what you really want to uh, be able to look at is, does the organization have assets and what are its liabilities? So in terms of the f statement of financial position, you want to look at the current assets. And with Grain Farmers of Ontario, uh, you'll see that there's a fair bit of um, cash uh, and uh, investments uh, that we have. And so our assets are actually quite strong and, and uh, levels are, are high. And that's just a result of several years of operating surpluses um, over the last you know, 10, 10 years. Um, so when you, when you look at it, um, since 2010, the current assets and all the assets have generally increased. And as far as our liabilities, really, there isn't much, uh, in terms of current liabilities. Uh, you, you'll see our fund balances are actually quite high. We have a general, uh, fund, but basically that's going to be our, um, uh, what we would need say if if there was a complete failure would we be able to sus sustain ourselves for a year uh, i think when the organization was first um, uh, put together back in 2010 there was a fair bit of work that was done to say what kind of assets would we need and what kind of a, f a fund would we require to sustain ourselves and and with the farm products marketing uh, commission and uh, there was a, a need to ensure that we had enough adequate um, capital in case there was a failure. So at that time, it would. what were the chances that you'd have a failure across all three crops at that time, corn, soy, wheat? So I think the main, th main takeaway really is when you look at our fund balances, they're very good. There's also the uh, grain marketing, wheat marketing fund that's uh, separate on there. You can see that that level is, is, is quite quite healthy as well. So I think overall, when you look at it, uh, we have a separate fund for research and a separate fund for market development um, uh, to sustain those two as well. So we're we're actually, um, as an organization, I think in a very, very strong position. As far as the operating uh, re, um, uh, results, I think looking at the operating results, uh, we, we put together our budget uh, and we report on our actual results for the year. So I think in terms of this year, you'll see that there's a, a surplus again this year. Uh, part of it is a result of favorable uh, checkoff uh, fees that we've had, as well as uh, underspending in, in terms of uh, different expense categories. So we've had uh, uh, lower expenses in, in areas. So the combination of those two uh, resulted in, in a, an operating surplus again this year. So it's, um, it, it's an interesting dynamic because of the fact that you know you 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 come into a, a a fiscal year thinking it would be you know one way or another when you budget for it but the re actual results might be a little bit different and who would have thought that last year when we were faced with the challenges with the corn crop that we would have seen the highest highest uh, commodity volume uh, in, in history over 7.6 million um, metric tons that were uh, that were uh, were reported this year so it was it was much higher than i expected now can we take a moment as well i guess to talk about the wheat marketing fund and how that is separate from the I guess, general operation of Grain Farmers of Ontario, because a lot of farmers often have that question when we have our annual meeting and, and, and they sort of 
don't understand how that operates or how that can exist almost as a separate entity. So can you walk us through that? It really stems from the uh, Farm Parks Marketing uh, uh, Commission, uh, the regulations. Uh, when the organization was first formed, there was uh, in the regulation the requirement for a separate fund for, um, for wheat marketing. The checkoff fees that um, farmer members pay, uh, for example, are license fees, are part of the general fund. Uh, no money really from a farmer member um, is going towards uh, wheat marketing unless they are actually participating in the pro- in the price pooling program or uh, contract program through the, um, the wheat marketing group. So that fund really is there to provide um, uh, liquidity. Um, uh, our our bank banker and financial uh, institutions credit facility. You, we don't have any tangible assets. We don't have any capital infrastructure, so we can't really pledge anything. So you want a credit facility for, for grain trading, you need to have, um, you need to have some form of asset base, and that's really what the wheat marketing fund provides. Is um, is it provides a lending capital uh, that we can um, uh, secure. And also, if they're, you're entering into brokerage transactions with with futures and options, you need um, uh, you need if there's margin calls, you need capital to be able to sustain that. So our brokerage account, we need we need that capital base again to to provide that and to fund inventory acquisition, uh, payment uh, and settlement to producers. So it's your payables receivable cycle. So that 14 million. When you think about it, overall is um, doing quite a bit for you, and that's why uh, with Farm Products wanted to ensure that if there was any operating loss and anything from a wheat trading whatever, it would not jeopardize the operation of the organization. Now, leading up to the approval and the, uh, I guess, publicization of the financial statements, we go through an audit process with a third-party auditor. Can you explain how that process works and why it's important to do that? It is um, by far the most important um, uh, assurance that our farmer members can have in terms of ensuring that all of the accounting, all the records, all the assets, all the liabilities are properly reported, all the transactions. So that whole process, it really starts at the beginning of every annual general meeting. Um, the members vote on the appointment of the auditor. That in turn says that they believe the and they trust that firm to undertake the audit and the auditors are working really for our board of directors and our farmer members. They're not really working for staff in any way. So our auditors go through and meet with the audit committee and they begin their audit plan and they will do that prior to the financial audit. So that might take place in in late March or early uh, or any time that the audit committee wants. And then the audit itself is planned and scheduled. And with our fiscal year being May 31st, our uh, audit is actually uh, scheduled and begins at the beginning of July. So that's really within four four weeks. We have to have them uh, provide a trial balance. And then our audit auditor will actually have almost two weeks of field work that they will come on site within GFO's offices 
meet with all of the different um, um, departments if they're auditing specific accounts, whether it's on a payroll or if they're looking at payables, receivables. They'll look at invoices. They'll look at expense reports. They'll look at research projects. They'll look at um, uh, market development projects. They're, they're going through and verifying that all of the disbursements have been accounted for uh, in meeting with, with the different managers, looking at the wheat marketing fund allocation of expenses, looking at the uh, sales that have been reported for the grain marketing, all of the payables. So it's a fairly lengthy, uh, in-depth, but again, it's done on a statistical process, so they'll go through and sample they can't go through every single transaction, so they have to have confidence, number one, in, in the controls of the organization. And, uh, you know, one of the main things is, is just because they, uh, someone says something, they want a, a, an independent, uh, they have to have professional skepticism, so they'll have to double check and verify things. So even on, on tonnage that we might have and report our license fees, They'll look at AgriCorps information. They'll look at StatsCan information just to say, is it is it right that all of this information is, you know, whether it's a surplus or an expense, you know, is, is there something that's not been recorded? And so it's a fair, 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 uh, fairly in-depth process. And I think, you know, uh, one of the main outcomes of that is that the farmer members, it's the firm that's saying, okay, we believe that the information's fair, fairly presented. There's no qualified opinion. It's a very clean audit. They'll report that back to the finance committee um, uh, and the audit committee, and then that they'll meet with the board and present the financial statements. And then at the AGM, they'll stand up and they'll walk through those statements with the, uh, with the farmer members and the delegates that are in attendance. So it's a, a fairly, very, very important. And I think the main thing is to ensure that farmer members have trust in what they're seeing and what they're reading and that the financial position of the organization is complete as far as far as those statements are concerned. And you mentioned that we have some internal controls within the finance department that the auditors rely on. So what are those internal controls? So if you look at it, um, if, if an invoice comes across from a manager, for example, that manager might have approval up to a certain dollar level to a sign off on. Even though it's been budgeted, um, there, you'll go through that process. It'll require a second or third person to sign off on it. And so we have, in some cases... Uh, some expenditures that require three initial uh, three initials that it's been verified and i think with with the concern around cybersecurity and, and everything we want to ensure that we're not getting an invoice that's coming through an email and uh, before it used to be mailed but now we just want to make sure and there are vendors that we deal with and making sure our our member our our managers have signed off on things before their um, uh, payments uh, released and approved. So it's it's a fairly in-depth, so that's just one example. The other part of it too could be on, uh, on, on, um, on money coming in. So, you know, a fair bit of our license fee revenue is coming in electronically. We're getting mon- funds transferred in. We're, um, we also get pay- checks coming in. So we want to make sure that number one, the person that's that's recording it isn't the person that's reconciling our bank account at the end of the month. We, on a daily basis, we, we, we scan our checks, for example, and we 
have them go to our financial institution. So we're not actually having to go to the financial institution anymore. Years ago, you'd have someone walking to the bank and depositing the funds. Now you can just scan it through a check scanner right there at the at when it comes in through through our um, to our um, finance area. So it's it's quite a it's quite a process. But I think the the main thing is really you look at it from a risk perspective. What is, what is the risk and how can you mitigate that and to ensure that um, the money is coming in. Now, our farmer members often ask, how do the checkoff fees that they pay, the license fees, how do they get determined and, and on what basis um, you know, do you decide how much they're going to have to pay when they go to sell their crop? Uh, when the organization was formed back in 2010, there was uh, prior to that there was an expression of interest and there was a model that was developed that said, okay, you know, your baseline is an acre. You could grow any of the three crops. Your yields might be different. Your um, acres might be different. But really, what's the equivalent going to be on a per acre basis? So everything goes back to the per acre. Um, so you, you say, okay, what's, what's our expense? What do we figure our expenses will be this year? How many acres are, will there likely be? And then equate it to a dollar per acre. We've used that kind of model all the way through, um, beginning in 2010 on saying, okay, if our expenses are X number of million divided by how many acres out there and with StatsCan we use the StatsCan figures. Um, we, we know that there's going to be some uh, variability from year to year but we wanted to use one consistent model and source so we use Statistics Canada. AgriCorps might have different figures but we've we've stayed with with um, StatsCan for this for this period of time and so from that you say okay it's going to be a buck seventy whatever an acre um, now you have to look at okay. Well, what are the what are the things that could change? Well, your yield could change. So let's then now take okay. I'm going to use a five year average. So we use a five year average for yield because there's going to be fluctuations. Uh, sure, if you try to inject a trend line, you might overshoot your yield, which means that your checkoff fee is lower. So. And at the end, it's really your acres, um, your yield, and from there you can equate and come up to the equivalent per ton uh, for for all three, all, all five now commodities. So I think with with the um, with with wheat, uh, corn, uh, soy, it would, you've got that much more variability, and any swing really from one crop to another during planting as you probably uh, saw this year with a shift from corn to soy due to the wet weather uh, you, you would have seen some shift in terms of dollar revenue that might move from one commodity to the other but at the end of the day it still is going to equate to that same baseline even with the baseline it sounds sort of like you're kind of at the whim of a whole bunch of different things so it must be hard to plan um, for that and, and budget so how does the budget process work in terms of you're expecting a certain amount of money and that may or may not happen I guess we've been lucky in the past couple of years to to see a surplus but what happens with that budget process to make sure that uh, you know we are spending within our means the organization the management team 
um, from the VP, from the CEO. Um, managers are going to be working on their budgets um, typically during during this year. They might be already be thinking about 2021, uh, even though we're we're just fresh into fiscal 20. They're going to be looking at their operational plans based on the strategic plan, what their committees are saying, whether it's a research committee, market development committee. Research, for example, is already doing, um, they, they've got timelines where they have to approve their, their expenditures likely sometime later this calendar year for, for next fiscal year. And so their roster of projects and what they're going to be budgeting for um, are based on government programs and claim uh, and requirements. So their their process is fairly early on. Uh, government relations, sometimes what you do is you'll, you'll budget for something, but you might hit, something might come up um, where you have to react. So you might have a, an election this fall, and so you might have requirements and, and, and budgets that you want to use for for um, for campaign or or, or or different activities this year and advocacy activities, and so you've got that idea, you know. Plus, you've got some economic work that you're doing through the Economist for um, for um, uh, policy development. So you've got a, a fair bit of activity that does take place at, at a very very granular level. But some areas in communications, for example, you have a lot of events and fairs. And Royal Winter Fair, IPM, uh, the Outdoor Farm Show, uh, you have a fair bit, March Classic and uh, the magazine. There's a fair bit of activity which, you know, typically isn't going to change from year to year, but you might have a different different emphasis this year on certain things, whether it's rebranding something or, or different collateral, uh, refreshing something. So you do have some, some variability from year to year, and you might be able to postpone things. So I think you, you go into the budget thinking, okay, when you consolidate all these budgets from the different areas, market development, you end up with, okay, here's what the expenses look like now that we've rolled everything up. Everyone's kind of given their, their wish list. And if you have to trim some things to say, okay, is it realistic that we're going to deliver all of these within this time frame? Then you might look and readjust things and say, okay, you know, it's going to require the checkoff to actually go up or maybe potentially lower it. And I think it's more more that uh, experience that, you know, this year we wanted to reduce the, the checkoff. We felt we had a surplus. Some of the expenses came in a little bit lighter than we expected this last year. And we felt, okay, there could be just some one-off events that are occurring, but let's, let's go in with um, a, a bit of a, a, a budget uh, deficit. So that way, at least, you know, hopefully with, with crop, um, um, things will, will change and we'll have a favorable outcome. But if not, then there still is opportunity during the fiscal year to, to postpone some, some expenses to defer them to another, another fiscal year if, if things aren't, aren't uh, working out favorably. So it sounds like it could be risky to lower checkoff fees, but you guys have a lot of measures in place that actually make it pretty a pretty sound financial decision. Yeah, it's it's one of those things we need to we discussed it. You know, it's a fair bit internally. We we talk about it quite a bit and say, okay, you know, we've had surplus over the last last X number of years. You know, we've 
gone in with this budgeted expense. Let's make sure we can come in with something. And, and, and I think it was also an opportunity to kind of say, okay, you know what? We had favorable results for the, from the commodities over the last several years. So, um, you know, is it, is it, um, is it prudent to, re to reduce it a nickel? You know, is it prudent to reduce it 10 cents? So you, you have that discussion and deliberation internally also with, with, um, with the, with, with the finance and I committee and, and say, okay, you know, are we, are we not delivering on something? You know, the main thing is, is farmer members want the investment in research. They want the investment in market developments. They want the communications. They want the, the advocacy, you know, um, based on everything. So if we can't deliver those things, then it's the wrong decision to cut the check off. If you're taking capacity away from meeting our mandate from our farmer members. So Grain Farmers of Ontario is about to celebrate its 10th anniversary officially, mm -hmm. uh, having been formed in 2010. From a chief financial officer perspective, what do you see for the organization in the next 10 years or even in the next one to five years? Everyone, I think, looks at us as a very large commodity organization in the grains and oilseed sector. We've um, got our, our delegates engaged. Um, we have a, a good financial um, base to continue to deliver our, and fulfill our, the mandate of our, of our farmer members and delegates. I think, you know, you're, you're always saying, I, I go back to my help. Um, and, and say, okay, you know, you don't know what the future will bring. You might come in with a, an expectation in five years. You've seen um, sustainability. You've seen the urban-rural um, uh, impact on, on our communications and, and, and how we have to respond to all of the different expectations, whether it's on the, on the, gra on the in agribusiness or consumers. So I think being able to uh, continue to network, being in touch with all of the different stakeholders, whether it's government policy, uh, whether it's uh, market research and market development, uh, you know, you see a fair bit of investment. Like we have over $6 million committed over the next five, six years towards research and market development and other things. So we have always taken a long-term view as an organization that we want to be and remain relevant to our farmer members and continue to deliver results and value for them in an efficient manner. So really when you look at our headcount, we've got 32 employees. We're focused on national. Uh, uh, yeah, we're looking at trade missions. We're looking at things here locally in Ontario. We know it's a global market. And so we have to be relevant globally, even in Ontario. So it's important for us to always have that long game um, and, and always be focused on that and making sure we have the right talent in the organization and deliver uh, deliver and, and be professional in, in, in our conduct. So I think overall I'm optimistic and I, I think that overall we will be um, um, a, a good organization for our farmer members long into the future. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us on the podcast this week. Thank you very much. Joining us this week on the podcast is CEO of Green Farmers of Ontario, Barry Seth. Thanks for joining us today, Barry. Thank you for having me. 
So we want to start today talking about the weather. It's always a topic of concern for farmers. What uh, has been your impression in terms of how things are going at the end of the summer of the season? Well, I did a bit of travel over the last couple of weeks, and overall, as far as uh, the crop, it looks um, it looks pretty good. Um, the issue is, of course, is the maturity or lack of maturity that it is for this period of or this time of the month. And uh, we're likely two to three weeks behind, at least two to three weeks behind. And so that's uh, going to uh, require a wide open fall. Uh, while there's some areas that look quite good, there is some areas that are still missing some of the rains. And with that, uh, it is getting serious for those that uh, have missed out on those rains. So uh, it's still a... Uh, it's still a challenge. We're a long way from uh, from the harvest, and for some of those, uh, it might uh, it might be a reduced uh, harvest um, yield for them. Now, one of the areas that you've traveled to uh, in the last couple of weeks has been Ottawa. There was an event there last week with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers involving some people um, from the government and government agencies. Can you tell us about that event? Sure. Well, it's uh, it's sponsored by the uh, uh, equipment manufacturers, and this is the second year for it. And what we're doing is showcasing uh, the technology that we're using in the farming operation. So... PMRA, our regulators, uh, were invited along with uh, AAFC and um, Industry Canada. And there was between 50 and 60 uh, people coming up from those departments. And what we do is showcase uh, equipment and some of the, uh, some of the, the seed treatment, uh, seed itself, and explain to them how and uh, why some of this stuff is used. So these participants get a close-up look to a combine, they get a close-up look to a planter, a sprayer. People will go through and explain exactly how those uh, that equipment operates. And then uh, CSTA, Canadian Seed Trade Association Crop Life, is also there talking about uh, seed and the seed treatment that we use. So it is... Um, uh, we've talked about it before in agriculture. We go along and we make these all these advancements in agriculture, and we really don't talk about them. And um, this is an opportunity to let some very important people know, our regulators and people that work with us closely in the federal government, let them know uh, exactly what we're doing and how much we've advanced in agriculture. And what was the response that you got from some of the participants? Oh, it was uh, it was positive. There, uh, you know, it's people are visual, and it's. Uh, uh, some of these people are sitting behind their desks and having input on uh, on regulation and maybe not being fully aware of uh, of um, you know exactly what and how things are being done. So I think um, what I heard at the lunch was uh, after all the presentations were made is the uh, the biggest surprise to these people is the technology that's used the uh, precision egg uh, computerization you know just the high tech agriculture has become. So uh, to me, I think they felt that was the biggest issue. Now, along with uh, government relations and government relations issues, last week, Green Farmers of Ontario issued a press release saying that we were disappointed in the federal government when it comes to uh, trade issues and support for grain farmers, especially when it comes to uh, dairy farmers and the funding that they're getting. So can you tell us why we had that response? Green Farmers of Ontario have been working on uh, business risk management uh, and trying to bring these programs to a level that they actually uh, underpin our farmers our farmers' operations. And we've been at this for uh, at least four or five years. Uh, we've now got a, um, an overall Canadian coalition of a number of different commodities, uh, ag growth, uh, working on this issue. 
we've been meeting with uh, with government, the federal government, provincial governments, uh, trying to get uh, business risk management higher on their agenda, because from a grant perspective, these programs are, have eroded over good times. And now that we're facing some of the trade issues, uh, higher costs of production, lower lower um, uh, commodity prices for whatever reasons, these programs are not going to um, be of use to our farmers. So we've been at this for a number of years. Meanwhile, through a trade agreement that the government has signed on, uh, the dairy farmers received uh, $1.7 billion. So to us, it's... Um, it's uh, not having consistent equity amongst agriculture as far as how the federal government is supporting uh, the different areas. So uh, uh, it's frustrating that we've been working on this file for so long uh, to see. And while the, you know, the trade agreements uh, uh, and this payment has been, you know, to the dairy farmers has been uh, talked about for a while, that there is yet money for one sector of the industry but not seemingly for another area. So that's what frustrated the organization and thus the uh, the press release last week. Coming up in two weeks is the annual general meeting for Grain Farmers of Ontario. And I'm sure the trade issue and the lack of support for Grain Farmers is going to be a hot topic there. What else do you envision is going to be uh, on the minds of farmers coming up for that meeting? Well, I think that, you know, that all ties into the viability of farmers is the... Uh, is the what's going on in the marketplace and as you mentioned trade will be utmost in uh, of concern it seems on the trade file all the efforts that we've been going through uh, over the last 30 or 40 years regarding trade is starting to unravel uh, because of a number of initiatives uh, by our government and by uh, by others and so while producers absolutely want to get their uh, their revenue out of the marketplace. It's uh, government actions that are distorting the market. It isn't a supply and demand issue or what have you that uh, that we uh, are now facing. It's uh, it's really political action. So the trade issue will be uh, be a, a big issue, but also issues uh, you know pertaining to research. As we uh, remember, Don was a big issue last uh, last fall. And um, and with that, uh, you know, the crop insurance addressing that issue, as we mentioned earlier in the uh, in the interview, um, we've got a long ways for uh, harvest to be completed. Uh, there's going to be some corn at least, and maybe some soybeans that are. It's going to be difficult for that uh, to hit the finish line, and then the issue for our farmers, uh, I would imagine, is and we're hearing it already is how is crop insurance Agricor going to handle that. Uh, light test rate uh, corn. So I think there'll be a number of issues that uh, that will be discussed that farmers will find quite interesting and, and relative to their own farming operations. Well, we look forward to attending that meeting and thanks for joining us today, Barry. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you for listening to our Grain Talk podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. For more ways to connect with us, including the latest webinar, market report, and our e-newsletter, go to gfo.ca slash talk. A special thank you to our guests this week, Tom Farfaris and Barry Senf. If you like what you've heard today, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And remember, five-star reviews help us grow our audience.